You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable Podcast, Episode 34, Spiritual Multiplication, an interview with Dr. Carol Brown. In a perfect world, we'd be able to bring thousands of souls closer to Christ in our lifetime. But the reality is, we'll be lucky if we help even 10 people grow considerably in their faith. In today's episode, Dr. Carol Brown explains how our impact may seem insignificant, but if we focus our efforts on building up small groups of disciples, there can be a serious ripple effect that may lead millions of people to Christ over the course of time. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today I met in studio with Marisa, our producer. Hello, Marisa. Hey, everybody. That sounded really creepy. Sorry about that. (laughs) And uh, the wonderful Carol Brown is with us via Skype from Oklahoma City. Uh, Carol is the Director of Evangelization and Missionary Discipleship. That's a mouthful. In the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. And uh, she's actually from uh, South Dakota. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. She's now in Oklahoma City. Um, she's been involved in evangelization um, all of her adult life, and she got her, her Master's of Arts in Theology and Christian Ministry from Franciscan University of Steubenville. And then she worked at Franciscan University for eight years as a director of evangelistic outreach. And then she went on to uh, do a year of mission work in Europe. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, Vienna. Lived in Vienna for a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to complete her PhD in systematic theology in 2010. And her dissertation, let me get this right here, I'm going to read this. Her dissertation is entitled, Crossing the Threshold of Faith, Pope John Paul II's Approach to the Problem of the Conversion of the Baptized. So a perfect person to talk to about the ongoing uh, challenge in the church. And the good thing is that the church is recognizing it and addressing it, that um, there's a need for evangelization and discipleship inside the pews as well as outside the pews. And That's right. um, so we're going to talk about that today and talk about spiritual multiplication and, and the fact that there is no there is no silver bullet. There is no quick fix. It'd be great if we could just stick people in a microwave <laughs> and hit, you know, one minute cook and come out of disciples. It just doesn't work that way. No, um, no, it doesn't. Can you explain to us real quick for our listeners, what is uh, spiritual multiplication? Yeah. So um, if we want to go all the way back to the gospel and we watch the way Jesus conducted himself in, in his ministry, he moved over to uh, the Sea of Galilee and kind of set up house over there and uh, started doing some teaching and people started hearing his teaching and coming around and he started doing a few miracles and more and more people came. I think it was yesterday's gospel when um, uh, we heard about Jesus going up on the mountain all night to pray. And when he came down, he named 12, right? He picked 12 out and he kind of made them his little uh, small group, right? And for the next three years, those three guys, or those 12 guys were under his um, mentoring and his ministry and his discipleship. Uh, they were learning from him. And a few chapters into the gospel, you you find a scene where all of a sudden there's 72, right? So the 12 had gotten, I don't know, five or six friends <laughs> and brought them to Jesus. And he taught them and sent them out on a mission, right? And then fast forward another number of years to um, the Pentecost morning uh, when there's about 500 people uh, around, right? Uh, I think that's right. Um, 
I remember 120 in there somewhere. I'm going to have to check my numbers on all this. But you see this sort of gradual multiplication of people uh, around Jesus, and um, and that's really the method that we're that we're talking about. So. Um, in a parish, uh, if you can get a couple of disciples who can uh, each take a group of, I usually recommend around eight people, and over the course of a, about a year, take them through a process of discipleship with a view to the following year, them taking a group of eight people through uh, a, a, a discipleship experience. So you go from two people to 18 people um, in a course of two or three cycles, you have a, a growing number of people who are both centering their own life on Jesus, but they also know how to lead other people to do that as well. That's great. Now, what would you say to somebody who um, who hears that and would say, uh, it sounds like one of those pyramid schemes. I don't know. It sounds like Amway <laughs> or, you know, yeah. like have, what would you say to somebody who might have that objection to? Well, I try to beat them to the punch and I try to describe a scenario. I say, imagine, uh, you know, the, the Archbishop hires Carol Brown. She's a super talented evangelist and she can go door to door all by herself and convince a hundred people a day to join the church. And at the end of that time, she's got 360,000, 65,000 people who've decided to join, uh, 365. Um, what did I say? A hundred people a day. People so a that'd day. be 36,500 people. Sure. Like <laughs> I'm not math. good at math. Yeah, I never was good at math. So <laughs> I'm a theologian. I don't, I don't do math. Um, so I have a big bunch of people. Uh, but in this kind of a, a methodology, it, while it starts very slow, um, about 10 years out, this person has far outstripped me who's doing multiplying discipleship. If they just, if they just um, you know, raise up two people every six months who will raise up two people who will raise up two people, um, I will have not quite a half a million people in my, on my docket and they will have over a million on theirs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm not that talented. I, I have, I've never convinced a hundred people a day ever to come and join the church. You know, I've never done it even once, not one day, <laughs> you know, um, I'm probably lucky if I have a hundred people to my name altogether <laughs> in my whole <laughs> life, you know? Um, but, uh, in this method, I can train people to do this and then they go out into their own spheres of influence and they're able to, um, actually transform the tenor, the whole tenor of a parish. And there's so many benefits to doing this um, that, uh, it, you know, it's it's just really a worthwhile uh, method. And usually, you know, when it comes to somebody making a remark about network marketing, I say bite your tongue, you know, <laughs> because actually uh, this, this, um, this is Jesus's method of mm-hmm. discipleship, right? And so the network marketers borrowed this from Jesus. Right, we right. didn't, we're not borrowing it from them. So... <laughs> Does that That's make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that, yeah, it worked. That's why they. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's rather than just addition, uh, it 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 grows exponentially. So, um, what typically happens in a parish, and I I I make fun of Ascension Press a lot, uh, and <laughs> please don't take this personally or anything. But I say, you know, usually what happens at a parish office is the Ascension Press catalog arrives in the mail. And it's all beautifully done, and we look through the pages, and we pick something out, and we're gonna we're gonna have a program in the fall. And this is so we picked out our program. This is what we're doing in the fall. And then as soon as the program's over, you know, forty or fifty people have gone through the program, and they look at the lady and they say, "Well, what's next?" And so she says, "Well, I don't know. Let me get the catalog out." And so she gets the catalog out again, and we flip through the beautiful pages, and we pick something else out, and we have another program in the fall or in the spring. And so roughly the same people come that came 
last fall come in the spring again, right? And so you've got 50 or 60 people. I'm kind of imagining a metro parish like what we have here in Oklahoma City. Um, And they come for the program and they enjoy it. And then they go home and then they come back and they go home and they come back. And it it doesn't turn into um, the kind of evangelistic energy that we want to equip every Catholic with, right? We want Mm -hmm. every Catholic to not only know Jesus Christ in their life, but also to be able to draw others to come to know him. Uh, in 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 their life and and bring their life into the church mm-hmm. to share with with all the rest of us that are trying to come to know Jesus, you know. I don't know um, you, Marisa, but I am extremely offended by that. <laughs> I would contend that such is a user error. <laughs> We're just glad somebody's looking at the catalog. No. Yeah, right. <laughs> Catalogs are actually beautiful. The last catalog I saw that came out, I was like, dang, these guys are really up in their game. <laughs> No, but I think, you know, I, I don't take offense to that because mm-hmm. that's not what we want. And so um, I think it's really good that it's there's a challenge out there to move beyond that consumer mm-hmm. approach because, mm-hmm. um, right, it, it can't be. It, it's not, we don't. It's so limiting. You know, it's very limiting when we, right. you know. Uh, uh, and and really, you know, if you if you take the general directory for catechesis as your guide, you know, they talk about uh, a systematic process by which someone grows in their discipleship, right? Mm-hmm. And and the truth is, it's right now not very systematic. It's it's you know people coming up with neat programs, mm-hmm. and and they are neat, you know. Um, but folks just dipping in, dipping out. Doesn't really matter if you come to right. each one, you know. And and it 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 uh, it, it doesn't build uh, right. in a in a given direction. Now, both of you guys mentioned consumer consumerist mentality. Can you um, just kind of define that for our listeners, just so they know what what, um, what we're talking about? Sure. So, um, a consumerist mentality is um, kind of this idea of um, thinking that the church is it kind of exists to uh, um, to to put on events and and programs and 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 I can come and take it in, right? Mm-hmm. And like those six, 50 or sixty people who show up for you know the the, the Bible study on, you know, Ezekiel, let's say there's a Bible study going on on Ezekiel. Okay. 50 or 60 people are showing up for the Bible study on Ezekiel. All very good. Um, it gets over with, and then they want to know what's next. Cause they want to be, they want to come around for whatever program is going on in the church. They want to, they want to be part of it. And in some ways, for those of us that work in the church, we can feel good that we did a good job, you know, um, because a bunch of people showed up for our program. Not noticing that there's actually, apart from those 50 or 60 people who showed up, there's actually maybe a thousand people out there in the church who haven't shown up for anything for a very long time. Right. And, uh, so the, 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 the consumer mentality is sort of in the, you know, what's next, what's next, what's next, you know, uh, and it all goes into a dead end, right there. It doesn't lift me out of myself and send me out to want to go help other people to discover what I've discovered, you know, and I, we run into that a lot, actually. Um, even in our, in this multiplying discipleship, um, process that we're trying to do, we often find um, people want to take the program in and then not multiply, you know, mm-hmm. and so now they've got another program under their belt and it goes into this just dead end. It goes into this cul-de-sac. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we've been trying to teach them, don't let that happen. Don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be the guy where it, the, the last link in the chain, you know, mm-hmm. um, does that so, make sense? Yeah. So it really is just consuming, just consuming yeah. content and, and, and which is great. We should all, we should consume, but it shouldn't stop there. There's the call to get out of our yeah. comfort zone and step out of the boat and go and reach out to those other, like you said, those other thousand people that are out there that are maybe not consuming it and get them mm-hmm. to consume it and then turn around and begin mm-hmm. to disciple others, which I, I think brings us to 
which I think brings us to the the um, the the fear of people can become uh, they can feel like a, lo- a rung on somebody's ladder. Like I'm just out to I'm going to disciple you, Joe, you know Jimmy Jimmy Joe, and then Jimmy Joe is going to go disciple Sally Brown, and Sally Brown's going to disciple you know I can't think of any more cute names. Sally <laughs> Brown, my, my cousin. <laughs> You know, um, I, I, I know that uh, in Focus, for example, Focus also uses a, a multiplying discipleship process, and they're a lot further ahead than we are. They they actually were, you know, building this under the radar for many years, and then all of a sudden it just seemed like it exploded. And and um, I know that sometimes the, um, you know, the missionaries have that experience of, of uh, you know, they, they try to keep track of how, how many people are we taking care of, you know, or how many people are going through discipleship. And, and people do get kind of irked about, you know, is this just all about numbers? But if you think about it, um, you know, remember the morning after Pentecost when Peter comes out of, out of the upper room and, and he starts preaching and, and it says 3,000 people decided to be baptized that day. Well, don't you ever kind of wonder who was sitting on the roof <laughs> counting those 3,000 people? Why was anybody interested in how many people uh, came to be baptized? You know, why does the Catholic Church keep studious records of numbers of baptisms, numbers of people in confirmation, number of marriages, number of priesthood? Because it tells us if we're if our mission is working. It tells us something. It doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us something important. And there's, um, there is actually a great urgency. I mean, the, the statisticians are, are doing some counting and they're telling us that six out of 10 Catholics are gone or seven out of 10 Catholics are gone by the time they finish college. Somebody's counting them, you know? So, uh, for us, it, it becomes really important to, um, try to figure out a way to, to, uh, evaluate, whether we're actually achieving our mission or not. Are we, are we drawing people into a deeper relationship with Jesus? Are we um, being effective? If, effective? And if we're not being effective, what do we need to stop, start, or do differently um, so that we can stem the tide of people that are walking away from the church having not found our Lord or not found the great treasure of our faith? They're telling mm-hmm. us something really important when they, when they walk away from the church. So if we can start to plug that hole... Um, and if we can start to, uh, to start to get a feel for how that multiplying mushrooming process kind of takes place and watch the effects that happen in the parish in the, you know, the, um, the, the deeper sense of bondedness to the parish that we see that as a fruit, the, the, the no longer feeling like it's anonymous. If I go to mass, there are people mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. seeing when I go to mass because I've, they actually know what's going on in my life because I've been sharing my life with them. I think you know, what's kind of snuck up on us by surprise uh, in the in the Pew study from 2008 is we we didn't even realize how many people had gone missing, you know, mm-hmm. how many and how many people have gone to find what they were looking for in an evangelical church, you know, six out of 10 of the people in evangelical churches are ex-Catholics, yeah. right? Yeah. So if we're counting all those numbers, why, why not, you know, start um, uh, uh, attempting to... Um, you know, to, to be attentive to how many people are in discipleship processes, how many people are, are, are making that decision to, to put the Lord more intentionally at the center of their life. And, you know, what are we, what's our impact? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people who are very, um, kind of opposed to taking the, the numbers route. They're just leery of that. Um, and they, they really reject, um, trying to understand the picture of where the church is, just through numbers and are also very leery of patting 
oneself on the back because of numbers at an event mm-hmm. or uh, because of numerical growth. And I think mm-hmm. that that's really healthy. Um, you know, there's a healthy skepticism there. Great. And on the other hand, um, there are people who want to use numbers almost exclusively and mm-hmm. they miss out on that, uh, the intangibles. And mm-hmm. they they are celebrating because they have seen this exponential growth, but they're not, their intentions might be misplaced. Um, where is the, where's the happy medium? Because we know mm. we're no more Catholic and, and we hold things in tension. We don't obliterate one good, you know, for the other. We we want to hold them in tension. Can you speak a little bit about where that, that tension might be found, or the healthy balance? Um, again, you know, um, I think if we're in any out of balance uh, issue at this point, it's in not caring enough <laughs> about what's going on out there, you know, and, and it, we would, we would do well to almost overcorrect with a, with a, a, a push or an attentiveness towards, um, uh, creating these things that, that kind of multiply. I, I think we're, you know, I think this, this, you know, bring in the same crowd, the usual suspects every fall and every mm-hmm. spring is, is just, it's not serving us. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, um, uh, I don't think we're out of balance on trying to be, you know, because because of the urgency and it's, uh, because of the uh, urgency of the new evangelization. I mean, the Pope has said the time has come to put all our energy into this, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, I'm not just talking about our current Pope, but all the way back to John Paul II, the time has come to dedicate all the Church's energy to the new evangelization, right? And I, I don't see that happening in any any great waves. You know, I, I see little little efforts. It, this is this is a um, you know a mentality shift that takes a long time. So, you know, there's not really any any panic that we're going to overdo it on numbers because we just can't. You know, there's there's it's not possible in a multiplying discipleship process to um, to rush the numbers, uh, if that makes sense, you know, it's, it just grows so slowly, um, over time. So when you talk about, um, you know, quantity versus the, I don't know, did you call it intangibles? They actually are quite tangible. You know, the, the, the tangible change of the atmosphere in the parish changes when people know about each other and care about each other. Mm -hmm. So that those things go beyond, you know, mm. quantitative data analysis, you know, data analysis. So, um, you, t- you talked, you said something to me one time, um, I don't know if you need to talk about this for a minute that you, you, you can't underestimate the reality and the, the largeness of the spiritual battle at hand when it comes to mm-hmm. creating disciples. Um, yeah. can you talk about that just a little bit real quick? Sure. Um, you know, whenever you take an interest in your spiritual life, uh, God takes interest in what's going on in your spiritual life, but s- there's also an enemy who does not want you to have what God wants you to have. And so um, spiritual battle can break out in all kinds of different ways. It can break out in uh, inertia, you know, just just can't get myself off the couch to make a decision to sign up and make the commitment. Um, it can break out in terms of um, conflicts between pastors and leaders. It can break out in just weird ways, you know, uh, just... just um, uh, you know, uh, group dynamics that are, that are funky, you know, and, and not having a, a leader who's skilled enough to kind of recognize the source and that kind of stuff. So the, um, the scriptures say, uh, St. Paul said in, in one of his letters, he said, um, uh, 
we don't we don't battle with the flesh. We, we're battling with with the powers and principalities of this present darkness. And there is definitely a, a a kind of spiritual element to this that does not want things to change in the Catholic Church. Does not want um, people to get serious about their relationship with Jesus. And so what I observe is um, a lot of times when we even use words like personal relationship with Jesus, people will object and say, "Oh, that's Protestant talk," you know. Um, uh, why are we talking about Jesus all the time? What about the saints? You know, what about all this other stuff? Why, why are we not doing, you know, heavy, uh, uh, what's the right word? I don't want to say heavy, but, um, what we need to do is we need to fix the catechesis problem. You know, we, we don't need all this fluffy stuff, you know? And so there'll be things said like that, that kind of undermine the process that you're trying to institute and, um, or, or just naysayers of different kinds. Oh yeah, this isn't sustainable or, you know, um, and in some ways, you know, um, discipleship itself, the, the, the material itself, it, it, it's, it's not helped if you have a milk toast kind of personality, you know, uh, you, you have to have a little vim and vigor and fire in you to, to, to transfer on to somebody else. And, um, uh, and, and then there's just the, you know, getting to the far end of the, of the, um, you know, the study and realizing, gosh, you know, these people suddenly are telling me they don't want to lead a small group. And so here we are in the consumer mentality again. So that spiritual battle can play out in any of those kind of ways. You know, some of them are, are so subtle that they, they don't, you know, they don't seem like a spiritual battle, but the, believe me, there is, um, the, there is someone out there who does not want this to happen. Right. Carol, you mentioned that one of the ways that a spiritual battle might manifest is people skeptical of um, this seeming, you know, a, a successful discipleship model seeming too based on, on on emotions or sentimentality, and feel it's too feel good. And I guess I'm I'm wondering, you know, because there there is a problem of making something over maybe emotional, but it mm -hmm. seems like what you're talking about is something that's personal. That's right. Yeah, that's a very very good distinction. Exactly. So to have a personal relationship with Jesus does not mean that we're setting up small groups. We're all sitting around holding hands and crying and massaging each other or doing anything like that, right? It's not It's not kind of playing with your emotions. But uh, a fully integrated human person is not just Spock, right? Uh, Spock was, was kind of the, you know, total intellectual power, you know, it and, and there was, he was completely disconnected from his emotions. If you watch any one of the saints, you'll find an integrated person where head and heart are, are integrated, right? John Paul II, St. Francis, St. Um, Ignatius of Loyola. St. Ignatius of Loyola would have to stop mass because he was in tears, right? A gift of tears. Um, and, and that's actually one of his, um, you know, descriptions of consolation, uh, spiritual consolation is that the Lord will give, give you the gift of tears. So, so when we draw near to the Lord, sometimes he does touch our emotions. That's true. But especially in the Anglo world, I find this very decided preference to keep it cerebral and just do not, do not go below the neck, you know, uh, in terms of um, where this is meant to hit your life. And actually, you know what, the Lord wants the whole thing. He wants all of you, you know, um, the entire person. And, uh, and when we, when we pursue that relationship with the Lord, um, it's for our happiness, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's what the, the church has said in the, in the general director for catechesis. And, and actually um, earlier than that, that um, this, this is about happiness. You know, when, when the human person uh, finds Christ, he discovers all of his aspirations overabundantly fulfilled. I'd have to find the exact quote, but it's it's a beautiful quote about the overabundant happiness that's on offer here in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, of course, that happiness isn't necessarily the happiness of being on the best roller coaster in the world. Uh, it's the happiness of the Beatitudes, which is a much more substantial kind of happiness, you know, um, 
and a much more lasting and, and perfect kind of happiness. Uh, but, uh, but that's what's on offer here is, is a, a full integration of your, of your mind, your heart, your will, the whole thing. Uh, and actually, maybe just to pause it on that point for just a moment, you know, in the Second Vatican Council, when they wrote the, uh, the document De Verbum, uh, which is uh, on the uh, divine revelation, um, they, they, they provided us with a definition of faith, which was much richer than the one that was provided at the Council of Trent. So back in the 1500s, they, the, the treatment of faith that Trent provided was, was almost entirely related to intellectual assent, right? But in De Verbum 5, if you go to that, to that uh, passage, you'll find that when they talk about the act of faith, they're talking about an act of total self-entrustment to God. He, he uh, man, by the act of faith, um, oh, let's see, I wish I had my documents out here. Um, I don't have them at the moment, but uh, uh, he submits his entire self to God, right? He entrusts his entire self to God. That was the word that John Paul chose to, to focus on. Uh, and so it's a much richer definition. It involves the whole person, not just uh, the intellectual side you know mm-hmm. mm. yeah yeah why don't we um take a quick break and when we come back we can talk about if a parish is looking at starting a, a discipleship initiative what are five things they should uh consider doing how okay. does that sound sounds good all okay. right very okay, good stay with us and we'll be right back and if you're looking for a way to learn more about your catholic faith i invite you to check out the ascension presents youtube channel you're going to find tons of free videos featuring catholic presenters like matt frad leah darrow jackie bobby angel and emily wilson Go to youtube.com slash ascension presents. That's youtube.com slash ascension presents. And if you like what you see, please share and subscribe. All right. And we're back with Dr. Carol Brown talking about evangelization and discipleship. So Dr. Brown, you have somebody in a parish and they have bought into the idea that this whole discipleship thing is a long-term plan. It's not, there's no magic bullet. They've, they've, decided to invest the time and the energy into it, what are the uh, five things that somebody should know uh, before starting? Okay. I would suggest in the first place that you be very careful to manage expectations. Uh, a lot of times when we're doing a program, we put posters all over the place. We do signups. We do we put it in the bulletin for six weeks before it's going to start. We tell everybody we're launching this new thing. And this multiplying discipleship process doesn't work that way. Okay. You have to start with a couple of people who've already experienced some conversion who can lead a group of leaders. Right. And, um, and it, it's very quiet and slow and, uh, it takes, a, it takes, you know, it's 36 weeks, but it's really the better part of a year by the time you figure in, uh, by the time you figure in Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and all of those kind of things. So it's going to take you roughly a year to bring somebody through this process and at the end of at the other side of that process, when they've finished, uh, and hopefully they are aware that you want them to help you get this started in the parish. So you don't want to just pick anybody. Um, you want to pick potential leaders to do this. Then they will take their own eight people through it, right? So so let's say you've 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 taken eight people through it, and now we're going to discern who are the eight people they're going to take through it. God willing, if they all follow through, um, you you get eight times eight right? Uh, so 64 people will be going through it in the second cycle. Let's say two thirds to half of those people decide to lead a group after that. Um, and then you've got potentially, you know, 40 to 50 group leaders. Um, but you can't kind of advertise to the parish that we're going to launch this this fall. 
because you're not really going to be able to launch it for the parish for a couple of years. You follow me? Mm-hmm. You're going to be you're going to be form, forming leaders, raising up leaders. You're going to find in that process too that some of your leaders, um, while very good-hearted, um, have some enormous gaps in their own discipleship. Like they somehow they 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 got going on uh, in this process, and you realize, gosh, if I turn them loose, they're going to sound half baked. They actually need, <laughs> you know, uh, filling in gaps and and getting a better understanding of of some of the content of the faith. Um, so uh, you'll find along the way that everybody isn't going to be able to automatically take up a group right away. Um, and so so managing expectations is going to be a really important aspect of of getting getting started. Um, second thing, you ready to go on to the second thing? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the second thing is, um, somebody in the parish has to take this as their apostolate. Okay. Um, and it may not be the hired person. It may be, but it may not be. Um, a lot of times your hired person, your, your faith formation director or whatever is going to be also heading up RCIA. She's managing all the catechist formation. She's just doing way too many things. Right. And so she, she's going to need, uh, one or two leader driver type folks who are going to take this as their apostolate to work on discipleship for baptized adults. Right. And as you grow that, um, you'll start to notice different groups that you can start sewing into, like parents of young children or parents of, of kids that are going through sacramental prep, things like that. Um, uh, my main point being somebody ha- who with a few administrative gifts has to keep track of who's doing what, where the groups are meeting, who's in whose group, um, phone numbers and all that kind of, you know, all that kind of tedious stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, figuring out what's the schedule, when are we going to launch this? Um, uh, Third point is that it it needs to be uh, as much as possible. It needs to be personal. Um, I just talked to a leader yesterday, and you know they they've they're kind of in about their third cycle now of of raising up leaders, and um, they want you know to give people the opportunity to do this, and and she's just discouraged because she said we've been putting this in the bulletin every week, and I said, Mary, uh, this isn't the kind of thing people respond to because of a bulletin announcement. This is the kind of thing people respond to because somebody they know invited them, you know, somebody they trust mm-hmm. invited them. Uh, now it's not always going to be able to be personal. You know, somebody crosses the threshold into the parish. They haven't been to mass in 18 years. You know, our normal process is to slide the, you know, registration paper across the table at them so that they can get their address and get their envelopes out to them. Right. Um, next step is to push the paper across the table that has the 25 different activities going on in this church and see if they'll help out with RCIA or they'll help out with funeral dinners or they'll help out with, um, you know, being a sacristan or a Eucharistic minister or be in the choir. You know, somebody who's just coming back to the church after 18 years away doesn't need any of those things. They need a place to get established, to make friends, to grow in their discipleship with Jesus. So what I'm wishing when we kind of get the ball rolling with this is that when somebody crosses the threshold into the parish, the first thing we say is, have you ever been in a discipleship group before? Can I have someone call you, right? And in that situation, it isn't going to be somebody who already knows you, but it's still personal contact. You know, it's still a personal invitation. They may need to be invited five or six times or 10 times or over the course of a year, you know. Um, But hopefully if that culture of discipleship is growing in the parish, uh, it will get traction and they will find their way into into one of these groups. And it will be more personal than just, um, you know, reviewing the bulletin and saying, oh, yeah, I think I'll do a discipleship group. You know, it just just works better if somebody, you know, comes and invites you personally. Sure. Okay. Now, in the, um, sorry, I was going to ask. Um, 
So, so say you're, you're a leader, um, you've decided to lead this discipleship group. What have you seen work? Women's groups and men's groups, like people who are in similar walks of life, what would you recommend to somebody kind of discerning what their, what their group is going to look like? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there are a number of different dynamics that, that shape a person's life. So for example, parents of young children are always going to have a childcare issue, right? And so, um, if you do it as, as a couple's group, they've got to either find a babysitter or the church has to come up with some kind of a nursery situation or something. So in, in those situations, often it works better to put the, put, put women in uh, one group and men in another group, men and women share differently as well. And so it's, um, uh, women, you know, they can talk for an hour and a half and not be tired of talking. Men can talk for 45 minutes and have said everything they have to say, and they're ready to wrap this baby up, you know? <laughs> so, um, I also find, uh, like I, I lead one group that's actually a mixed group. And I think this particular group, the chemistry of the group is really good as a mixed group. Um, I've got four men in the group and three, uh, let's see two women besides myself. And, um, the conversation we have is really, really rich, you know, so I wouldn't rule out anything, but especially when you're dealing with some childcare issues, that's a real consideration is men's groups one night, women's groups at a different time, you know, uh, some, sometimes men can get together for an early breakfast meeting or something, you know, and, and, uh, and it works. So, um, we also found, um, you know, sometimes you, you think, well, we'll throw all the young mothers in together and they can, and it actually, you know, it works really well to put, older women and a whole age range in there because mm-hmm. the younger women actually haven't been through all this hassle with motherhood before. And some of these older women have been there, done that, and they know how to help people relax, you know? They, mm-hmm. And and so the kind of issues that women are dealing with at that age is something these gals have already, you know, been through the trials and tribulations of young motherhood. And, yeah. and, and, and there's some, some, you know, calming down that can go on some, some kind of helping, you know, uh, manage some of, some of the stress of, of that age and stage, you know? So as a young mother, I approve this message. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, the temptation can be to say, well, let's do a young mother's group, you know, and just get all the young mothers together. And, and you've just got a lot of stress in that, you know, a lot of women that are just under an enormous amount of stress. So if you, if you actually cover the the whole spectrum of ages, there's actually some gifts in that, that should not be overlooked. Um, one thing also that happened, this is my fourth point. Um, you know, as we're, as we're looking around for leaders and, and we're often, you know, kind of, uh, pull it, you know, pulling on a very small group of people, we, we, we want to kind of branch out from the the people that are up to their eyeballs and stuff, you know, and we want to kind of start pulling a few other potential leaders in. But often what you find as you start making your way through Discovery um, or some of the other books, for example, one of the challenges in Discovery is to go to confession, you know, and we had an experience with one of our ladies um, who had been pulled in because she was a potential leader. She was very enthusiastic. She was there every Sunday. And when the thing about confession came up, um, she really uh, became kind of troubled in her heart. And because she had a really good leader, a really trustworthy leader, she was able to go to that leader and say, look, um, it's it's really interesting to hear everybody talk so positively about confession. She said, I actually haven't been to confession since the first time I went to confession. Wow. And 
the reason for that is because I have a, a, an elephant in my living room. And the elephant in my living room is that I'm actually in my second marriage and I haven't gotten an annulment yet. Mm. And so she she knew kind of in the back of her mind that that wasn't kosher, but she was afraid of being uh, marginalized at the church. And so she just never brought it up. You know, she'd moved in from out of town. Nobody knew what the history was before. And um, so because this leader was um, so kind and gracious about the whole thing, she was able to... Uh, to help her to have that conversation with the priest and get the paperwork going on the annulment and um, and uh, and also just to to just to be aware of where she's at in her discipleship, you know, um, this is an important uh, you might say a kink in the hose, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where the where there's grace that's not getting through. Um, that we we want to sort that out so that all the grace that she's got coming to her will mm-hmm. come through, you know, uh, with with um, with ease. Um, we have bumped into lots and lots of, of of Catholics who, for whatever reason, haven't been to confession in 30 years, 25, 30 years, you know. Um, and it's it's kind of amazing because you think, well, this guy goes to Mass every Sunday and he's so faithful. And and it just, you know, you just don't realize that for some reason someone has a block on that. And, well, okay, let's talk about that. Let's find out what's what's holding you back. And a lot of times the um, the breakthrough that happens in their, in their experience of the, God's presence in their life is just incredible, you know, just enormous. So um, that's another thing that won't happen in these giant, you know, herd everybody into the hall and put the DVD in <laughs> kind of kind of ways of doing formation. You, you can be completely anonymous there. And this kind of pushes into your into your life a little bit more per, at a personal level. And, um, and and it helps you to kind of unblock some of those um, channels of grace that um, that we all need. Um, then the last point I was going to put on here in terms of sort of a practical issue is um, a lot of times the way we do formation, everything happens at the parish. But if we're doing multiplying discipleship well, it will be two or three cycles be- before there won't be enough room at the parish to have all these small groups operating. And so it's wise from the get-go to, to just have them in your homes as much as you can. Now, I know sometimes... You know, it's not possible to have it in the home because you've got a person in your group who's allergic to cats and you've got five cats and they're just not going to be able to get through a group without, you know, uh, some kind of um, allergic meltdown. Um, But by and large, whatever you can do to shift out of the uh, parish plant, the the physical plant of the parish, and to have it in homes. I, I, I kind of caution people about not going overboard on hospitality. We don't want you to put on a big meal. We don't want you to buy food for this. Just keep it real simple. Have a, you know, a pitcher of water on the table. And, and um, if somebody feels like making a pot of tea, that's fine. But don't, don't go overboard because people will freak out about, you know, having to you know, having to host a group and, oh gosh, I didn't have time to get groceries or I don't have time to make a meal, you know, just don't do any of that. Just keep it real simple and just let the, let the conversation be the enriching part of what you do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so those are my, some of my, my practical matters. There, there are probably some others I could think of, but, uh, but anyway, that's, that's enough to get through today. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. So, um, just to kind of wrap up again real quick or not wrap up, but, um, Reiterate. So one would be manage expectations. Two mm-hmm. would be um, have a clear leadership, somebody who's leading it up. Um, three would be has to be personal. Um, evangelize within your own influence of your own sphere of influence. Um, yep. Four would be that the fact that there's going to be kinks and that's okay. That can even be a good thing. Mm-hmm. And then five is the need to to shift to a home based 
groups because we're going to out- outgrow the parish eventually if we're doing yeah. this well. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very yeah. Good. Hmm. Carol, this has been awesome um, to speak with you. And I just, I feel like we could sit here and talk for a long time. Um, And actually, uh, for those of you listening, um, don't worry. Carol's going to be back with us, hopefully, uh, sometime within the next couple of months to to record another podcast about, you know, how do we walk with people through their conversion and, and what what do the different stages of conversion look like? Um, and, and that's something that she's really explored in her dissertation, but then in her day-to-day work. So we're really uh, looking forward to that conversation. Know that once you finish listening to this, you're going to be looking forward to that too. So um, Carol, is there a place where people can find out more about what you do? And um, some, I know you have some resources that you put together that people can, can find. Can you direct our listeners to those resources? It- Yes, the easiest place. And I don't know if I can send you a link that you can post. Our website here at the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City is a little um, uh, hard to navigate. Um, but uh, if if they go to the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, there's a new evangelization page. And it has kind of a long essay on there about, uh, about um, the situation. It kind of hooks into our Archbishop's pastoral letter. But if you, f- if you keep on scrolling down, there's um, a, a video called The Game Plan, which explains the baseball diamond concept. Uh, then there's a little um, a little video about uh, Angers Regnier, who authored these materials we're using, and she tells why the discovery book is such an important one. There's a few testimony videos on there. And then there's a, a, a one at the bottom called When Jenny Met Kate. It's a little video I made that just shows um, like how does the evangelistic dynamic happen in a friendship, you know, just at the mm. water cooler at work, for example. Um, and um, and it, it shows evangelistic skills in motion. You know, how do you make the charismatic proclamation? How do you earn the right to be heard? How do you do your own testimony? You know, um, how, do you, how do you discern if it's the time to invite somebody to come back to mass or not? Do you do yeah. that on the first chat or, you know, do you, do you kind of build up to that, you know? Uh, and, um, so there's a lot of things there. Then there's a tab on the right hand side that call it's called adult discipleship in the parish. And it has a whole bunch of testimonies of people who've done the, uh, who've done the, the Catholic Christian outreach discipleship series with us and you know, how, how it's touched their life. We can definitely link to that in our show notes. So our um, okay. listeners can find, find those links. If you go to Ascension, press.com you click channels you find our podcast and and you'll find the latest episode with those links all right well this has been great i look forward to uh talking to you again and likewise uh, it's always a pleasure so yeah yeah thanks so much for including me it's it's been a joy as always and uh yeah look forward to visiting with you in the future some point sounds good absolutely okay all right everybody stay tuned for more episodes with dr carol Brown. Brown. I don't know why I said it like Brown. that, but you know, Brown, Oklahoma <laughs> City. All right. You guys have an awesome day. We love you. We'll see you next time. Peace.